0: Hi, and welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me for another edition. I'm so glad you're here as we talk about Boys Will Be Men, A Guy's Guide to Fatherhood by my returning guest co-host and contributor today, Christopher Weeks. Let me tell you, I enjoy having Christopher on my show, and every single time he joins me, he always provides us just wonderful insights into topics all over the spectrum. I first met Mr. Weeks when I read his book, 2085, Rise and Fall of the Sisters. I did a live reading with him, and as I was reading the book with him, as he was watching me fly through his PM messages with all of my thoughts about his book, he was really surprised how much I really enjoyed it. But I said, it's quite easy when you write a good book. And so if you want to read a good book, go ahead and read 2085 Rise and Fall of the Sisters. It's almost prophetic because it talks about toxic femininity and other moral degenerative things that happen in our society to bring about a dystopian society. And that, in part, is sort of like a background into what this book is about, even though that book was fiction. And this book is a creative nonfiction memoir of his thoughts about his father. Before we go into our interview, I want to thank all of you for your support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. If you want to be a part of this mission, consider joining our Patreon team by going to patreon.com slash stuff and see how you can help out. You can follow us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Edify, and wherever podcasts are heard. And now, without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest co-host and contributor today, Chris Weeks. Chris, how are you doing today?
1: Parker, I love being on your show. You always flat—you always say the right things about me, and I really appreciate it. I try to get my daughters to say those same things, and it's like pulling teeth. But you say them, and I'm really excited to be here.
0: Well, you know, I consider you Reverend GQ, because you come <laughs> from the most beautiful family in the world. And if those of you, if you follow him on Facebook, I'm telling you right now, the week's family is the most beautiful family in the world. Mom, dad, sons and daughters, just beautiful people. So I'm really excited to have you with me again, because we're talking about a topic that's really important. And it's about fatherhood. What made you want to talk about fatherhood in the first place?
1: Well, I'm a pastor of a church and Our church is actually, Parker, I can say God has really been blessing it. And uh, a lot of times I'll be invited to pastor councils to give advice on how to be a pastor. People ask me, is it seminary? Is it reading? Is it all of your degrees that make you a good pastor? And I say, no, I was raised as the youngest of six under a father that was incredible. And uh, he taught us how to love each other, how to forgive. He taught us how to laugh. He taught us how to take responsibility, and so I use a lot of my dad in my sermons. I am a product of my father. You know that song, Leader of the Band is Tired and Eyes Are Growing Old, and then it says, his blood runs through my instrument, and his song is in my soul. And I'm the product of my dad. His blood runs through my life, and his song is in my soul.
0: I think fatherhood is so important, and fatherhood is being attacked in many different ways. Can you show us what some of those ways are? Well, what's funny
1: is, okay, so in my book, Parker, I, I want to make the case that fatherhood is not as much attacked as it's been shelled. There is a lot of people that have grown up with either bad fathers or no fathers at all. And so because of that, they don't know what they're missing. And they really think that fathers are not a vital part of the family. And so instead of attacking fatherhood, I just think they think, ah, let those old men go down to their caves and just, you know, scratch themselves and just be barbarians down there. We don't need them in a real civilized world. But I think they're from two results. People have had bad fathers, and they're angry that they didn't have a good father. And then some, there's so many fathers that just have quit. Some are like, well, I don't need them. And I think they say I don't need them because they know they do. And they don't want to reveal the hurt that they actually have.
0: When it comes to fathers, I feel as if it is a special honor in the same way as it is of being a mother. What are some of those benefits of fatherhood that you can point out to us?
1: The first and foremost is Jesus calls God father. What that means is the role of the father incarnates that word in a real way in a real time sense. So when your daughter or son grows up in your home and they call you father, then they go to church and they hear Jesus call his father, father, there's a transference, you know, and if you're a good father, it makes them want to know God more. If you have been a horrible father, there's, there's a pushback to the Christian message. You know, there's, let's say, first of all, you are. You are incarnating that word. I would say secondly is you have the ability to make people who are in the image of God better than you. I I don't know how to explain I think a father's job is to serve a child so well that they live a better life than you ever have. You die for their sake. I think true love is giving up your independence to make your children independent. So you actually are giving up your rights So you'll be present when they need advice, instruction, and delight. And so in a way, a father's a guy that's showing real love, if that makes any sense.
0: I like the fact that you said that the father incarnates our father, which is God above. And that's significant to me because it shows just what a great responsibility fathers have in raising their children. And when you look at the Lord, and all the things that he gives us to succeed in this world. And then you can see that in microcosm, in the family unit, it just is really astounding to see that. And you also said something too that I think we want to simmer on. Fathers do want to create children better than themselves. Who isn't proud when their children succeed? And dad goes, yeah, my son is X, Y, Z, so-and-so, and this big wig, or maybe not even big wig, but he's succeeding in life. He is a contributing member of society. He loves God. He loves his wife. He loves his family. And he continues this trait. One of the movies that I particularly liked, and I'm very critical of uh, Christian fiction and Christian media in the West here, uh, but one of the things that I liked about the movie Courageous was showing how fatherhood is so impactful, not on just one generation, but on the next several generations. What would you say to that?
1: Okay, so here's what I would—I was a youth pastor for eight years, and now I've been a family counselor for really 25 years. In my eight years, I did research on all of the students that were in and out of my youth ministry, and I tracked the ones that really took the gospel message and have either gone forward to be pastors or or really contributed to the church. I have noticed, Parker, and this might sound— This might sound like I'm really exaggerating, but I'm not. 90% of the the sons specifically, and I'd even say daughters who have gone on to really love God and continue with God, have had dads that were fully committed to the church, that were fully engaged with Christ. I also heard some statistics. If a single mother takes their child to church on a weekly basis, 50% of those kids will still keep going to church. If a single father takes their kids to church on a weekly basis, 80 to 85% of those kids continue to go to church. And the reason why is you. a father has a unique way to say that God is a person to be feared. I think a mother naturally is what I would say very caring, compassionate, related, relational, where fathers, they're different. They will only, what I would say, serve somebody they think is worthy to serve. It's more about fear. It's more about uh, what I would say loyalty or allegiance to leader than it is about relationship with fathers. When kids see that and they see a dad fear God, I think they take God a lot more serious than if he doesn't. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's sort of it seems.
0: It's a very complicated issue in the sense because people don't see the importance of fathers anymore. And you made a good point. I am remembering when we were younger. And if we were going to get in trouble, we'd rather get in trouble with mom than get in trouble exactly. with dad, because he was the exactly. dominant standard of discipline, hopefully not a, not abuse, but discipline. And we knew that as soon as dad gets home, and that was the refrain back in the day, don't let me have to tell your father, because the father was an authority figure. Now, I know some people may actually be listening to it and may find this rather repulsive, but I think it has to do with the changing attitudes of fathers. I think we
1: have bought into this Gnostic lie that I can create whatever I want, that the body doesn't matter, but it's the the spirit that matters. So Gnosticism teaches that the body is not that important, so the roles don't really matter. What matters is how I can create a new reality, but the truth is, what I would say, the design of fathers somehow God has put in the heart of every child a desire to please their father, whether they know it or not. Even if you have a bad father, I know children that are will do anything they can their whole life just to have their dad acknowledge their person. They know Some people are so broken because their dad won't even talk to them for years. There's something been put into the heart of a child to please their physical father. And I think it's spiritual too with our spiritual father. I would also say that men are different than women. They just are. There was a a study, I read this book, they did this study in co-ed basketball, and there's a co-ed basketball game going, and whenever somebody fell down or got injured during the basketball game, women would always stop the game and say, hold on a second, are you okay? Are you all right? And they'd wait to make sure the person who was injured was all right. They have that caring nature. But when a person would get hurt and a guy came up to them, they would say, get up. We're going to miss the basket. Come on. Just rub it off, buddy. And it's not, it's not necessarily because they're callous or indifferent. They have a different value than, a, than women do. Father has a different value than mom does. A father has a desire for what I'd say, take risk, succeed, and adventure. Moms have a desire to nurture meet needs, and really relate and communicate in a deep way. And so both are needed to make a person whole. They they are. It's just God's design. And I think we, through Gnosticism, believe, oh, that's not that important. And it's, oh, man, a kid
0: needs both. I definitely agree with you there. And it brings me to my subject about your book. And for our listeners out there, the name of Chris' book is called Boys Will Be Men, A Guy's Guide to Fatherhood. And you're specifically speaking to men in this regard because you're speaking from experience about having a good dad. Now, in your book, you mentioned that someone asks, what makes your dad better than all the other dads? How did you respond to that?
1: I just said, well, I'm not trying to compete. I'm just saying this is the dad that I have had, and I want to tell you about him because he has made a huge impact on my life. And my point is to say, hopefully, through the stories that I share, somebody who's reading will want to aspire to be a father like that, or will really realize what they're missing and want to have children that have a great father, you know? So my point isn't a competition. My point is I'm just expressing to you the gift that was given in my father. He was a unbelievable gift to me.
0: Was that something you realized as you got older and your relationship with your father changed as it inevitably, inevitably does, or was it something you recognized after his passing?
1: Uh, Both, but I can remember when my dad died, it was 15 years ago. My my wife told me to go outside in the backyard and um, just take the day off, just to kind of download and meet with God. I didn't know how I'd react when my dad died. I can remember my mom telling me when uh, my grandfather died, my dad had a real difficult time even going to church for a couple years because he was kind of upset that God took his dad. And I was wondering, would I feel the same way, especially being a pastor? Would it, would it rip my soul out? You know, and then when my dad finally died, I went to the backyard and lit these uh, giant logs and watched them burn for about four hours. And memory after memory of what my dad did for me flashed in my mind. And at the end of that four hours, all I could say is thank you. All I could say is thank you, because um, I realized I was 40 at the time, and I just became the pastor. I realized my dad prepared me. He did what a good dad's supposed to do. And all I could say to God is, thank you.
0: So in your book, you give a guy's guide to fatherhood. When readers pick up this book, what can they expect to learn through this guide?
1: So I I organized it in a story form. So I told stories so you could visualize what it looked, felt like, tasted like to have a dad, like my dad. In between those chapters, I would tell different principles that I learned. So. One of the chapters I talked about, my dad was raised in Cleveland, Ohio, in the inner city, around Italians, African-Americans, Polish, and how he grew up learning to accept people as they are, without judgment. And uh, so I told stories of how he would play hide-and-go-seek with the Italians, or he'd be uh, going to football at University of Dayton. But in the middle, I'd say how my dad taught me that you learn people not based on how they look or how much money they have growing up or what side of the town they grew up. And you learn from really listening and enjoying who they are. And my dad really liked people. He found joy in bringing joy to others. And I think he learned that in a really close-knit community of inner city Cleveland. And so each chapter has a story and then a principle to back up that story. So I go from Growing up, he was an asthmatic kid, and then he sports really gave him uh, encouragement and courage to risk, to be adventurous. So it kind of talked about the importance of sports or doing something that takes risk all the way through falling in love with my mom. My dad was a real cocky guy in college, and my mom looked like Aubrey Hepper, and she changed his life because she would she would demand – Things from him before she gave herself to him. And so I'm just saying the power a woman has over a man is incredible, but we don't talk about that anymore. And when, when a woman doesn't give in so easy, it changes men. It changed my dad. And then I go from what it's like to be a dad who would sing in a house. He sang all the time. He loved singing. How important singing is in the house. I talked about, I he had uh, three daughters, four daughters and how he would teach me about the role of women and how to respect women and how really my sisters became my best friends and goes all the way to the end at the time of his death my dad had no skeletons in the closet he was faithful to his vows and i realized that's the greatest gift a man can give to a woman is staying faithful to their vow and leaving no skeletons behind and so it's just stories and principles with those stories
0: it's fascinating that you mentioned about how your father helped you to treat your sisters in such a way that it became they became your friend and as you know i do a lot of research because of my writing i do a lot of historical yes. writing and i found a book about gentlemen's etiquette from back in the 1800s and yes. they actually expound on the importance of brothers to sisters but you can only wow. give that example if you have someone to show you how to do that. And that was back in 1800. So to hear you say that, I find that quite interesting. Now, oh, my
1: dad, my dad wanted me to have complete respect and treat my sisters with dignity. Guys had no right to raise their hands against their sisters, none. And my dad would, we would just sit around the living room and my dad would just ask questions to my sister and delight in them. And I learned that, you know, there were, my sisters are brilliant people, you know, and they've, I've really learned a lot from them. But part of it is because of my dad showed me how to respect them, too.
0: Just to show you an example of this, I'm just going to read a quick, very quick expert excerpt. It says here, it's the Gentleman's Guide to Etiquette. It says, in the familiar intercourse of society, a well-bred man will be known by the delicacy and deference with which he behaves toward females. That man will be deservedly be looked upon as very deficient in proper respect and feeling who should take any physical advantage of one of the weaker sex or offer any personal insight or any personal slight towards her. Woman looks and properly looks for protection to man. It is the province of the husband to shield the wife from injury of the father to protect the daughter. the brother has the same duty to perform toward the sister, and in general. Every man should, in this sense, be the champion and the lover of every woman. And that's
1: Amen from
0: that. 18- sixty three, I think, when this particular edition of this book came out. And so that has really resonated with me. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Now, I want you to read a quick excerpt from Boys Will Be Men, A Guy's Guide to Fatherhood for our listeners to hear.
1: Okay, this is uh, towards the very beginning, and it talks a little bit about my dad's uh, my dad's ability to bring hope. So my dad and mom lived in Cleveland at the time. My dad was a salesperson. And uh, at the time we were living there, it was tough. The, the economy is kind of like it is today. High inflation. We had six kids. And uh, my dad, I was sneaking down the stairs listening to my mom and dad talk about the tightness of the budget. And my dad just told my mom, the next couple months, we're probably going to have to tighten our, our belts a little bit. And just to be a little bit more conscious on our budget? Well, it was my birthday in a hot August. I was born August 28th. And so here's what I read. I must tell you about one early Sunday morning in August that this guilt-ridden, erotic boy will never forget. That's me. I was a, it was a especially hot and humid day, and sweat was causing my cut-off Cleveland Browns to jam a bottom to stick to my thighs. I was laying down on a bottom bunk in my bedroom, covers pulled off, and I was tossing and turning, trying to find some comfort before I had to wake up to get dressed for church. I noticed the door of my room slowly begin to crack open, and my dad peeked his dark head of hair in and said, Chris, wake up and come outside with me. I looked at my electronic Panasonic digital flip clock that read 6.47 a.m. It seemed awfully early to get up for Sunday morning. The Davy and Goliath cartoon, my Sunday morning staple, wasn't on until 8 a.m. I rubbed my eyes at the back of my fisted hand and slowly followed my dad down to the stairs and out the back door. He's wearing a pair of dark blue Bermuda shorts and a white T-shirt from the day before, and I'm pretty sure he had a toothpick tucked behind the flap of his right ear. I noticed that it was unusually bright as I stood on the hot pavement of our driveway. I could feel the heat from the rough concrete warming the bottom of my bare feet as I uh, wondered to myself, why is my dad getting me up so early? He smiled and pointed to the large sliding sectional garage door. Normally, the door was open. but For some reason, my dad had it closed. Pull her open, he said. Why, Dad, I'm so tired and hot, I whined back, expecting him to be upset at me for how poorly I cut the lawn the day before. Maybe I didn't put the hedge clippers away in the right spot on the pegboard on the garage wall. Chris, just open the door and you'll see, he said, rubbing his thick hands together in bubbly anticipation. I went over to the garage door and bent down to grab the silver metal handle, wondering why my dad seemed so excited. I began to pull up, letting the counterbalance weight do most of the work. I can still hear the sound of the rusty rollers scrape and squeak against the metal overhead door track. At first, I was only looking down at my bare feet, thinking how hot they were. But as I slowly lifted my head, my eyes began to focus on something unusual that was hiding in our dark, musty garage. And then I saw it. There, in the center of our garage, was a brand new blue Schwinn Stingray pedal bike. It was fully outfitted with a white faux leather banana seat and long chopper handlebars, complete with white grips and red, white, and blue tassels coming off the end. It was the same exact bike I would stare at in the store window of the local Rogers and Race General store. I was dumbfounded. Standing before the shiny new bike, my mouth hung wide open in shock. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. My dad bought me the bike of my dreams. How did he know? But then a more powerful thought overwhelmed my small, guilt-ridden mind. How could he afford it? The week before my birthday, I was eavesdropping, and i listening to them discuss the family's tight finances. Dad, I said, you didn't have to buy me that bike. It's brand new, and plus, I know we're tight on money. My dad looked at me with an exasperated, tight-lipped look. I knew that look. I said something that was not what he wanted to hear. He took a deep breath and read Chris. Don't worry about it. Just get on the darn bike and ride it. But Dad, I kept on. Huh? I don't deserve it, and it really looks expensive. I could see my dad was losing his patience with my unwarranted self-pity, so he pointed at the bike and said, "On much sharper tone, so Chris, I bought this for you as a gift. Get on the bike, ride the bike." Instead of allowing fear, worry, and an overactive guilt complex and self-pity to rob me of my joy, my dad knew that I needed his help to allow the love he wanted me to experience. That is what a good dad does. He encourages the timid heart. Under his care, he wanted his children to be free to explore, enjoy, and not be weighed down by things that they should not and cannot be responsible for. Ride the bike has become for me an expression of the good dad's desire for his children to embrace grace. And Grace is not a deserved thing, but is a gift given out of the father's undying love for us. And it is this same grace that makes everything possible and life worth living.
0: And that is an excerpt from Chris's book, Boys Will Be Men, A Guy's Guide to Fatherhood. And like you said, it wasn't that your dad was perfect, and I'm sure you, you'd you be the first to say that, but it was what he taught you and that you had a good dad. I think that's that should be the aspiration for any man who is a father to be a good one. But, we should still speak to those fathers who may have messed up. I know some fathers have been distant. Some fathers have been abusive. Some fathers have been horrible. But I believe as long as you are alive, there is an opportunity for you to mend broken relationship with your children. Now, does that mean that the children should put themselves in a predicament where there can be serious pain? No, I don't think so. But there's always an opportunity for a father to be better, even if it's late. And this is why I think grandfathers are God's second opportunity for men who have been horrible fathers to be good dads. I don't know. It could be just me uh, thinking that. But what are your thoughts about that particular thing?
1: Oh, man. I, I think grandfathers are incredible. I, I, here's what everybody wants. I think, especially boys. Boys want somebody to speak into their life and to say, you can do it, you're capable. I think every girl wants some respectable male to say that you are delightful, and they're looking for that, they're dying for that. And if they can find that from somebody who's not predatory or doing it for their own advantage, but really doing it because they want to bring joy to others in a selfless way, you can change people even today. Like even today, I have this guy that would help me in youth group. His name's Todd Wilderboer. That guy, he's huge. He's a big hockey player. He's, he does, he's not a huge communicator, but man, he would just play basketball with those guys and just say, hey, how you doing today? And these kids love Todd. Like they love him. And some of these kids don't have dads. And Todd is just faithful. And I just think we don't realize how much impact we can have. We are We are given an enormous platform, and if we just really learn to love people and lose ourselves for the sake of other people, we can change lives.
0: I remember one time you were counseling me in 2020 during one of the saddest periods of my life, and you said, people don't listen and love anymore. Sometimes we're so Mm -hmm. consumed with wanting to be right or wanting to have the final say that we forget to listen. Nothing fathers listen to, just like our Heavenly Father listens to us. I have enjoyed this conversation. I know it's been short, but I am pretty sure many of you listening have have been thoroughly provoked by it in so many ways. As you think of your responsibilities as a parent, whether you're a mom or dad, even though we're focusing today on fatherhood, I'm sure that women also have the same type of questions about being a good mom and about being a good role model for their daughters and for their sons. So there's a lot here to glean from the book. So make sure you love on my brother today and pick up your copy of Boys Will Be Men, A Guy's Guide to Fatherhood available at amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Chris, in the few moments that we have left, I'm going to go ahead and mute myself. Go ahead and pray for us today.
1: I'd love to. Father, what a, privilege it is to call you dad. Even it says in Romans 8 that when the Spirit's alive in us, we call you Abba Father. You're amazing. I just want to pray if there's a listener right here, just as Parker's talked about, that may they think they've failed or they have lost opportunities with their own kids, I just pray that you would just give them hope for today. Help them realize that deep down in a child's heart, they still want to know from their dad, am I okay? Am I wanted? delight and delighted in. I think when you tell us in Zephaniah that you rejoice over us with singing, you delight in us, I think we need to communicate that to our children. Help us to do it. Help us as fathers to stop seeing kids as an extension of us and more as a gift given to us from you. You're great, God, and I pray this thing for the sake of Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Pastor, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for being with me on the show today. As always, I enjoy having you, and I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon.
1: Thanks, Parker.
0: And we were talking today to Christopher Weeks. He is the author of the book, Boys Will Be Men, A Guy's Guide to Fatherhood. It's available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Let me tell you, I have been just thoroughly, thoroughly provoked by this conversation. I think about fatherhood. And those of us who are in that position of a father figure, do you think it's too late if you've messed up your chance to have a true, well, well well-balanced relationship with your children? It's never too late. And I truly believe as long as you are alive, if you go to the Lord and ask him to give you the words and the opportunity to heal mended relationships, he will give that to you. But you also have to be careful in your approach. So make sure you go ahead and pick up boys will be men. A Guy's Guide to Fatherhood by Christopher Weeks. I know that you will enjoy it as much as I have. Thank you for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the queen, Parker J., and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.